Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you to do, including uh, Bob Levy. He is the former chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about uh, some of the Supreme Court decisions that have been made since the New Deal that have greatly facilitated the expansion of the federal government. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is October the 12th, and on this day in 1492, after sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus sighted a Bahamian, believing he'd reached uh, East Asia, His expedition went ashore the same day and claimed the land for Isabella and Ferdinand of Spain, who sponsored his attempt to find a western route to China, India, and the fabled Gold Spice Islands of Asia. Columbus was born in Genoa, Italy Italy in 1451. Little was known about his early life, but he worked as a seaman and then a maritime entrepreneur. He became obsessed with the possibility of pioneering a western sea route to Cathay, China, India, and the Gold Spice Islands of Asia. At the time, Europeans knew no direct sea route to southern Asia, and the route uh, via Egypt and the Red Sea was closed to Europeans by the Ottoman Empire, as were the main, many land routes. Contrary to popular legend, educated uh, Europeans of Columbus's day did believe the world was round, as argued by Isidore in the 7th century. However, Columbus and many others underestimated the world's size, calculating that East Asia must be, lie approximately where North America sits on the globe. They didn't yet know that the Pacific Ocean really existed. With only the Atlantic Ocean, he thought, lying between Europe and the riches of the East Indies, Columbus met with King John II of Portugal and tried to persuade him to back his uh, enterprise of the Indies, as he called his plan. He was rebuffed and went to Spain, where he uh, also was rejected at least twice by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. However, after the Spanish conquest of the Moorish Kingdom of Granada, In January 1492, the Spanish monarchs, flushed with victory, agreed to support his voyage. On August the 3rd, 1492, Columbus set sail from Palos, Spain, with the three small ships, of course, the Santa Maria, the Pinta, and the Nina. On uh, October the 12th, the expedition reached land, probably Watling Island in the Bahamas. Later that month, Columbus sighted Cuba, or Cuba, which he thought was the mainland China, and in December the expedition landed in Hispanola, which Columbus thought might be Japan. Boy, a confusing time. He estimated a small. He established a small colony there with 39 of his men. The explorer returned to Spain with gold spices and the Indian captives in March 1493, and was received with the highest honors by the Spanish court. He was then the first European to explore the Americas since the Vikings set up colonies in Greenland and Newfoundland in the 10th century. During his lifetime, Columbus led a total of four expeditions to the New World, exploring various Caribbean islands, the uh, Gulf of Mexico, and the South Central American mainlands, but he never accomplished his original goal, a western route to the great cities of Asia. Columbus died in Spain in 1506 without realizing the scope of what he had achieved. He discovered for the Europe and the New World, the New World, which riches over the next century would make help make Spain the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. The story of Christopher Columbus. Of course, uh, we've heard about this Indigenous Day and all the ways to try and discredit Columbus and take focus away from his great achievement. But uh, can you imagine in three small ships sailing to the New World? An amazing accomplishment by Christopher Columbus. You may have heard the news about uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who has left the Democrat Party, and uh, just really salute her. I I don't know if you've heard the whole message. I'd like to play it for you right now. It's an incredible message. It's only about a a minute uh, long. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who were driven by cowardly wokeness. 
who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, then I invite you to join me. Quite a message, isn't it, from Tulsi Gabbard, a longtime Democrat from Hawaii, serving, I believe, five terms as a congressman from Hawaii and now leaving the Democrat Party, but most importantly, urging others who are like-minded, who have, are fed up with the direction of the party, to leave the party as well. I think it's a tremendous message, and I think uh, it actually gives balance to uh, all of us. Our message is we're so frustrated with the direction of the comp country right now. So, Tulsi, we just genuinely thank you and wish you well on your journey uh, politically as and as a patriot. Well, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, will not release its review of post-COVID-19 vaccination heart inflammation. The CDC has been performing abstractions on reports of post-vaccination myocarditis, a form of heart inflammation, submitted to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, but the agency is saying the federal law prevents it from releasing the results. That sounds pretty suspicious to me. The abstractions are considered medical records which are withheld in full from disclosure, the CDC told, said in a recent letter responding to the Freedom of Information Act request. One of the exemptions in the act says the agencies can withhold materials that are specifically exempted from disclosure by statute if the statute requires the matters be withheld from the public in such a manner as to leave no discretion on the issue or to establish a particular criteria for withholding or refers to particular types of matters to be withheld, and B, if enacted after the date of the enactment of the Open FOIA Act of 2009, specifically cited in the paragraph. So that's a big word salad, of course. It basically says that we're using this this uh, the word salad as excuse for not being uh, giving full disclosure. Now, you may recall that CDC is not going to go through some sort of Six Sigma process to try and reform and be more transparent, yet they're still refusing to provide the myocarditis abstractions. It's part of a pattern with the CDC and its partner, the Food and Drug Administration, to cover up. The CDC hasn't released the results of a mining data. To the epoch time, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, of course, he's a Republican from Wisconsin, or a nonprofit called Children's Health Defense, that's... Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s uh, organization. The agency also declined to provide results from a different monitoring system, VSAFE, to a, a nonprofit called Infor Informed Consent Action Network. The, whole, uh, the bottom line in all this is that, of course, it's a cover-up. It's a shame because there's many, many cases. It's been proven. Well, here, in the meantime, here's what uh, has happened that's pr basically proven the fact that Myocarditis is a serious problem. Ever since the experimental COVID vaccine was introduced, a staggering and horrifying phenomenon has been sweeping the Western world. We've seen it happen to athletes, performers, musicians, news anchors, soldiers, high schoolers, uh, healthcare workers, random people, politicians, and so on. People have been dropping to the ground like flies because of the heart-related issues that are, in virtually every case, caused by the adverse reaction to the mRNA jab. It's undeniable the rise in these uh, life-threatening incidents has been clear and proven. Uh, there's been a number of studies. Not only that, but people are dying as an at an unprecedented rate. The events have be uh, become so overwhelming that as of this week, Florida Surgeon General, uh, Lud Lud I say his name incorrect, I'm going to try to say it correctly, Lapado, 
I think it's Ladapo, that's what it is, has even come out to recommend that people refrain from taking the vaccine because it causes a massive 84% strike spike in cardiac-related death in ages, uh, males age 18 to 39. Quite an indictment to these, uh, to these vaccines. Just don't tell the medical experts at Moderna. This week, the vaccine maker officially announced it has developed a cure for the tyrannical medical industrial complex's latest manufactured health crisis in the wake of all the cardiac-related death and sickness caused by the first iterations of the experimental vaccine. Moderna CEO Stephanie Benkel revealed the company's new treatment for heart attacks, another mRNA injection. This time, however, instead of going into your arm, it will be shot directly into your heart muscle for maximum effect, of course. You can't make this stuff up. So the people that are making us sick from myocarditis are coming up with a cure, which is another jab, into the heart. Speaking with the Sky News Australia Business Weekend, Bankel detailed Moderna's new experimental mRNA injection which he says will grow back new blood vessels and revascularize the heart. Naturally, the multimillionaire big pharma executive whose company made billions and counting by conducting illegal gene therapy experimentation on billions of unsuspecting people touted the development as a super exciting before clarifying the treatment would be would inject mRNA into people's hearts. He didn't specifically specify when Moderna will have the new therapy ready for consumer use, but the process is presumably far along, as he said it's currently being tested in clinical setting. As you say, he said, uh, cardiology, we've now had a clinical, a super exciting program where we can inject mRNA into people's hearts after a heart attack to grow back new blood vessels and to revascularize the heart. It's a bit like science fiction medicine. It's so exciting to me, he said. You can't make this up. Can you imagine that? We've made you sick. We've created this problem of myocarditis. Hey, but we got a new solution. It's another jab in your heart. Well, nearly a month after President Biden announced a new deal had been reached between the railroad companies and their unions, the deal has been falling apart, raising concerns for a possible strike. And, of course, this will affect the supply lines greatly and exacerbate the whole problem of inflation and food supply. The Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division of the Teamsters, one of the nation's largest railroad unions, rejected the deal on Monday, expressing discontent with the number of paid sick days, according to the Washington Post. Officials said the members of the third largest union rejected the proposed five-year contract in a 56-43% to split. Both sides have agreed to continue with negotiations until at least November the 19th. Uh, <laughs> it's just amazing. They're getting a 24% increase over the course of a couple of years of, of income, but they're uh, angry about the lack of paid days off for illness. Just can't make this stuff up, especially in the face of many people who can't pay their bills and what's happening with inflation right now. It's just unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. By the way, I just looked out the window. What a beautiful sunrise. If you're listening live, take a peek right now to the east. It's just absolutely beautiful. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato, I should say former chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at 
at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by... uh, Choice Social. Choice Social is a new and refreshing social networking platform, and I hope you'll check out uh, the website, choicesocial.net. You can uh, download the app there. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a retirement che- retired chairman of the Cato Institute and current senior fellow emeritus in constitutional uh, studies. Bob, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you so much, Bob. We started a conversation about the Supreme Court's major cases since the New Deal that have essentially fed the growth of the uh, federal government uh, to the, all the ABC agencies, all the things that are going on right now. I want to pick up on the Commerce Clause. What has the court said about the limits of the, of the uh, commerce power? Well, we talked about Wickard v. Filburn, the infamous case uh, <clears throat> back in the New Deal era, and that established the principle that any economic act in the aggregate that has a substantial impact on commerce can be regulated, and that doesn't matter whether it's interstate or intra-state. Uh, <clears throat> well, 43 years after Wicker v. Filburn in 1995, the court was asked to approve another, even larger expansion of the Commerce Clause. The question was whether the power to regulate commerce could conceivably cover a non-economic act, so, an act that didn't involve growing or mining or manufacturing or buying or selling, or distributing, or consuming. And the case was United States versus Lopez, and the court finally said, no, that's enough. Um, A federal law that criminalizes possession of a gun near a school, and possession is clearly a non-economic act, that could not be justified under the Commerce Clause. So the, the Lopez case, along with the Wickard case, yielded the modern framework uh, for interpreting Commerce Clause. Congress can regulate any exchange of products, that is commerce, across state lines, and can also regulate non-commercial acts, as long as they're economic acts that have a substantial aggregate effect on interstate commerce, such as growing and consuming wheat, which is really not buying and selling, but it's deemed to be subject to regulation. Congress cannot regulate non-economic acts like the mere possession of a gun in the Lopez case. And within that framework, uh, the federal commerce power covers a lot of grounds, and I would argue much contrary to the original understanding uh, of the Constitution. You know, if the Commerce Clause 
authorizes regulation of any activity with a substantial effect on interstate commerce, uh, then you have to ask yourself why the framers <clears throat> found it necessary to include separate constitutional authorization to regulate, for example, the value of money mm-hmm. or to establish banks up bankruptcy rules, because both of those powers are, are, are indisputably uh, have an effect on, on commerce. And then came Obamacare, the individual mandate to buy health insurance, and that went even further beyond commerce and beyond economic acts to, to regulate things that weren't acts, that is, something that that wanted to regulate you because you didn't engage in the purchase of a product, namely health insurance, that was illegal to purchase across uh, state lines. So under Obamacare, uh, there there was neither an act nor an interstate market that existed to be regulated. That is so interesting. Anyway, you can understand why the government would expand as a result. So what's your view about the Obamacare theory of the commerce power? Well, essentially, this mandate is regulatory bootstrapping of the worst sort. So Congress forces you to engage in commerce. You have to buy health insurance. And then Burke claims that you can be regulated because you're engaged in commerce. So, you know, if Congress can do that, it can pretty, do pretty much what it wants. Uh, in my view, and now confirmed by the Supreme Court, uh, even if Congress can regulate Mr. Philburn's production of wheat, that doesn't mean that Congress can require me to purchase bread uh, from my local grocer in order to subsidize the uh, production of wheat. And it, and it can't require you to purchase health insurance to subsidize insurance companies so they can afford to cover uh, pre-existing conditions. So the litmus test now is economic activity. <clears throat> a mental decision not to buy a product, that's not an economic act. And in that respect, it's no deci- no different than a decision, for example, not to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither decision can be regulated simply because the non-act, if it was converted into an act, might have an effect uh, on, on, on commerce. So the subject matter has to be economic in nature and has, actually has to affect interstate commerce, and it must involve an activity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so how do you explain the Roberts' opinion in the Obamacare case? Well, it came as a complete surprise to everybody. You know, from the beginning, there were two primary questions, whether Obamacare would survive and whether there were any remaining limits to uh, federal power. And everybody among the legal scholars, uh, even liberals and conservatives, expected one of two outcomes. Either Obamacare would be upheld and that would be a harbinger of really unbounded federal power. Or Obamacare would be invalidated because the court finally reined in federal power. Instead, Roberts did what nobody anticipated. He saved Obamacare. And at the same time, he established some significant limits on exercise of the Commerce Clause. So, you know, the opinion was sort of a, a masterpiece of political compromise, giving something to everybody it suggested that what Robert's goal really was, was consensus building, ensuring that the court uh, didn't have an overtly political or ideological cast. So that's not a bad thing. Uh, but in this case, it led to a legal analysis that I think condoned uh, an unconstitutional law, namely yeah. Obamacare. Yeah. So on balance, was the Robert's opinion a net plus or a net minus well, we had first principles at stake there. We lim- we limited government power so people can live their lives the way they want. So this wasn't just an academic exercise to map the uh, contours of the commerce power and the taxing power. Uh, that That's worth doing, but it's, it's just a means to achieve the goal of maximizing uh, human freedom, and that's why supposedly we allow government to exist. And that's why I think the Obamacare opinion, uh, politically skillful, ultimately was a failure because, once again, the court found a way to expand the reach of the federal government at the expense of, uh, of your liberty and my liberty. 
Yeah, Bob Levy again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, I really appreciate this commentary, and you can certainly understand why the government has expanded as a result of these uh, decisions. Quite frankly, I mean, when just reflecting on Robert's decision and how, what it seemed like uh, he veered away from, it's kind of mission creep with regard to the Supreme Court. He's, he made it political as opposed to legal. It, I think that's correct. He's, he's so concerned about the institutional respectability of the court that he lost track of the underlying principles of law and constitution. Again, the Cato Institute, cato.org. Bob, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And now building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples is going to be absolutely a centerpiece of the city. You can find out more and get t- tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppies, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. It's good to be back with you. It's nice to be back with you as well, Andy. I hope you survived the storm. Absolutely. No, no problem whatsoever. Very lucky over here in Forest Glen. Well, that's wonderful. So I, I, I thought I wanted to start off by getting your thoughts on the midterm elections and some of the polling that's going on. What are your thoughts? Well, let me just start out with my uh, my good news story uh, for today. There's several, actually, but uh, let me just focus on one that hasn't been getting a lot of press, but I think it may have significance. Uh, Thirteen uh, judges, uh, United States federal judges, have said they would not hire Yale Law graduates as clerks. Uh, now, that may not sound dramatically significant, but I think it represents the, the awareness that's setting in in the legal community about how tainted the uh, Yale Law degree is. And by extension, since Yale sets the tone for many other law schools, the problems that may exist uh, in terms of the cancel culture that is, is so pervasive at these schools, and, the, and these are not just uh, a few students or a few administrators. At Yale particularly, which is why the judges are focused on it, it was a, uh, a 
university-wide phenomenon uh, that these things were going on. So the judges are refusing to accept these graduates. Now, again, I don't know if that is a huge story, but it may indicate a growing awareness of the problem that you and I, for example, have long identified. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of interesting, too, that uh, MBA students at the Ivy League schools, the uh, enrollment application is down double digits right now. So uh, what we're seeing, I think, is they painted themselves in a woke corner. Yeah, I think this is a critical component as we go forward if America is to be restored. I think the educational system, obviously the public schools, must must be brought into a, uh, a more meaningful model, uh, but particularly the universities, which just uh, 25, 30 years ago were, were seen as the, the ideal model for universities worldwide. Uh, now, in many, in many cases, certainly that is not uh, not no longer the truth, Bob. So uh, these are the these are the important stepping stones uh, to restoring America. Absolutely. So, uh, any other good news? Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be in keeping with the midterms. Somewhat, I'll move into the midterms from that. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard has left the the Democrat Party. Now, that was not a a, a huge shock, but. But on the other hand, I think her reasons for leaving were, uh, were uh, very, very meaningful. Uh, she said that uh, Joe Biden is pushing us to the brink of a nuclear holocaust. Uh, she also argued that uh, the Democrats despise the Constitution and actively find ways to undermine our God-given rights enshrined in the Constitution, like freedom of speech and, and so forth. Her speech was, her, her, her comments were so strong, yeah. so focused, and in my estimation, so accurate, that I think they are representative of perhaps a, uh, a soft underbelly of the Democrat Party, where there are perhaps many Tulsi Gabbards. So I'm optimistic that maybe her movement out of the party will uh, start, not certainly a landslide of movement, but uh, a significant movement uh, away from the Democrat political uh, uh, arms, Bob. Well, absolutely. In fact, she implored, as you mentioned, she implored other like-minded, uh, independent Democrats to consider making the same move themselves if they, if they agreed with her point of view, and I certainly do. I mean, Charlie Crist right now is running on a platform of uh, trying to support women's rights for an abortion. That's that's his corner of the universe. That's what he's trying to win on against. There is no sane reason to vote for Charlie Crist. And that, you know, whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat, no, I'm a Republican, Republican, no yeah. doubt about it. But Charlie Crist, his background, his flip-flopping, his his lack of, of commitment to any value system that he's not willing to sacrifice uh, for political expediency uh, should just, in my mind, disqualify him automatically as a person who should receive your vote. Absolutely. By, by the way, and I forgot to mention to you, I played actually Tulsi Gabbard's uh, comments earlier in the show uh, to start off the show because I thought it was so important that, that uh, I just wanted our listeners to be aware of that. And I certainly agree with your commentary. So well, I'm very glad to hear that. I mean, obviously, you, you must have focused on the importance of her, not just the uh, moving away from the Democrat Party, but the comments and you focused. And, and I was going to focus on that myself. So I think there's probably significance in uh, her positioning. I hope the Republicans are wise enough to pick up those issues and, and move forward with them. I, I'm never quite sure whether they will do that, but uh, let's, hope, let's hope that they get that wisdom now. Uh, moving into the into the midterms, um, I think things are looking are looking good, better than I would have thought for the Senate just a few weeks ago, perhaps, Bob. I think Blake Masters is looking better and better against Mark Kelly uh, in his debate with Mark Kelly. I think he he looks strong uh, as compared to uh, Kelly, who really had no defendable positions. Blake uh, highlighted the open border the 87,000 new IRS agents uh, even brought up water rights as it pertained to Arizona. Uh, so again, we're looking at, uh, I think, a, a, a solid chance for a Blake Masters Senate victory in, uh, in Arizona. If we go just right next door to Nevada, uh, Adam Lexalt looks like he is going to win that Senate election. Uh, at least at this point, he has surged past uh, Cortez Masto, and, and I think he is looking really, really strong as it goes uh, as it goes forward. Uh, if we get to Georgia, the, uh, there's been a polling me measured movement of black voters moving to the right, which is certainly good news. Uh, Stacey Abrams 
may possibly lose. I'm not guaranteeing that outcome, of course. Nobody can. Uh, but I think we're looking at a good chance that Stacey Abrams may, may be defeated. If we go to Pennsylvania, uh, Fetterman is faltering, both because of his, his physical condition, which is uh, absolutely horrible. I, I feel for the man. He's in bad physical shape. Uh, on the other hand, uh, his, his history is not replete with any wisdom. Uh, I think Dr. Oz is beginning to uh, show Pennsylvania and perhaps America what he's all about. I think he's demonstrated that he's a, an honest man, a good man who loves this country. So I'm going to predict a, an Oz victory uh, in Pennsylvania. If those elections go that way, I think we will take the Senate. Yeah. Uh, if Masters win, Lexalt wins, and Oz wins, I think the Republican Party will take a majority position uh, in the Senate, Bob. Well, and Carrie Lake is running, and the, her opponent, Hobbs, won't even debate her. And, and that's happening a lot, and the Democrats are just basically saying, well, I'm just not going deba <laughs> to debate. Uh, the, the candidate in New Hampshire, as I recall, is not willing to debate. Uh, that's just, uh, you know, and, and basically they have no platform. Well, they have no platform. I mean, they're, they're the party of negatives, if anything. They, uh, the party of ad hominem comments, again, if anything. Uh, so that's that's all they have to offer. There's there's nothing else. Um, I'm just amazed at how many Americans seem uh, seem responsive to this uh, negative messaging and this uh, this party without a platform that has seriously damaged America certainly over the last two years and I think uh, further back than that, obviously. Um, so I, I don't understand Americans who are so so tempted in that direction, but uh, apparently there are. But I'm still optimistic, perhaps more optimistic than I've been in a while. As it pertains to the Senate, I think we will take the, the House, and then if we could just get a, uh, a win in, in uh, 2024, I think we may have a solid chance of reclaiming America, Bob. I, I would agree with that, Andy. You know, right now, I also think that uh, the polling is skewed dramatically, if for only one other the reason is that many people are concerned about even admitting that they're conservative because of the police state that we're seeing develop around us. Uh, the FBI now carting off a minister for singing hymns at a Planned Parenthood and, and threatening him with 11 years of incarceration. Can you believe that? I can't believe it, but certainly, uh, I mean, in terms of its hypothetical, uh, would, would I believe that could happen? No, I couldn't, but yet it has happened, Bob. It has. Uh, it's, uh, there seems to be no restraint on the FBI. They seem to don't, they have no pers uh, in the, uh, institutionally imposed restraint on themselves, and certainly they're not getting enough pushback from any place in Congress uh, to really um, disparage uh, what they've been doing. Uh, it's perhaps a deficiency of the Constitution that there doesn't seem to be any built-in mechanism uh, to control the National Police Force, Bob. So true. And you want to take a little break? Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show. Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Offices located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, of limited government, and the rule of law. We continue our conversation with author and uh, professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. So, Andy, I want to move to uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Lots of developments and uh, s- some stark realities rearing their ugly head with regard to nuclear power. What are your thoughts? It's, it's a little bit scary, Bob. Um, let me just start out by saying that I am not a paid agent of Russia or Putin, and <laughs> I'm half Ukrainian. So uh, in today's America, you could get canceled for saying what I'm going to say right now. So uh, I'll say it. But, uh, again, this is not an, uh, an advocacy of Russia or even their positions, just an advocacy for uh, trying to avoid the, the serious repercussions that, uh, that you alluded to, that is nuclear exchange. Uh, if we look at the United States uh, Monroe Doctrine, the, uh, the doctrine by President Monroe that prohibited political and military involvement of other nations in the Western hemispheres, certainly I think we can consider that Putin has uh, invoked what I guess uh, he may define as a, a Putin doctrine, a comparable doctrine to that, to that Monroe doctrine. He stated that clearly prior to the invasion of Ukraine, uh, we, we managed to ignore it, to either not take it seriously or not care about the repercussions. Now, that doesn't suggest that what's happened, the invasion, is, is justified because of that, but I think it must, it must be taken into account that this is a, uh, an action that Putin and most of the Russian hierarchy sees as a legitimate uh, defense response to Western aggression. Whether that is true or not is incidental to the fact that I think they actually seriously believe that. And it may be true, Bob. We don't know. Uh, So what we have going on right now is what I predicted on your show several times over the last month, which is as Russia's forces were being defeated on the ground, they would be uh, taking to more serious um, choices of weaponry and, uh, and, and targets. So we've seen that over the last few days where they've once again started to launch missile attacks uh, at some of the larger um, Russian cities, inclu- uh, Ukraine cities, including Kiev. So we're looking at what is an escalation, I think, on Russia's part uh, as a derivative of their setbacks on the ground. And my prediction still holds, my prediction being Russia will not allow themselves to lose this war. Now, with all that in mind, I think the, the issue of nuclear war uh, is being bandied about uh, just uh, too much for my comfort. Um, John Bolton, who is certainly a, a neocon war hawk, indicated that uh, nuclear war is a likely outcome a likely outcome of the, uh, the Ukraine process. Um, and another um, uh, theorist on this, Michael Clark, uh, indicated that this war could go on for 50 years. Now, I don't believe, Bob, that this war can go on 50 years without some tragic mistakes being made yep. uh, that would result in the potential of a nuclear exchange. Now, as I mentioned to you off-air, I've got a historical background in terms of nuclear weaponry. Let me just fill your audience in real quickly on this. Uh, I was in the Strategic Air Command uh, for two years when I was in the Air Force. For a year and a half of that, I was assigned to uh, the 8th Air Force Command Post at Amherst, Massachusetts. There were four command posts in the Strategic Air Command that had the responsibility of the retaliatory strikes of the United States. Offutt, which was in Nebraska, which was above ground, very soft target. Barksdale, Barksdale, Louisiana, 12th Air Force, one story down, a soft target. And March, 15th Air Force in California, again, one story down, a soft target. 8th Air Force was nine 
stories down equivalency under a mountain at Amherst, Massachusetts. Wow. In all likelihood, uh, the attack, uh, retaliatory attack of the United States would have come out of my office. And I say my office only because I, I work there. I had no decision-making capability. My job would have been to initiate the go codes, the war codes, for all airborne B-52s and KC-135s. I would have dialed up worldwide frequencies and given them pre predestined targets that were all predetermined by uh, codes that already existed in their aircraft. That would have been, that would have been my job. Well, more important, I think, was my uh, relationship with the commander of 8th Air Force. I was going to say friendship, but that was certainly too strong a word. Uh, but this general of 8th Air Force, very enlightened man, and he said something that we've, we've got to keep in mind, Bob, as we think about nuclear war. He said if we had to do what we were designed to do, that is, if SAC had to retaliate, we had failed. In other words, once a nuclear strike uh, uh, happens, then the, the retaliation will take place, and it has to serve as a deterrent. But if that first strike takes place, uh, Kiefer made it obvious that he believed we had failed. Now, what I hear all too often right now is, well, if there's a first Russian strike, then, then we will strike them and uh, take out Moscow. In other words, uh, there is none of this uh, uh, recalcitrance uh, to use these weaponry. Yeah. Now, the United States, if Russia, for example, Bob, uses a tactical field weapon, nuclear uh, nuclear weapons, they have a, uh, a, a stockpile of these weapons. The United States has very few, if any of them, left in our, our armory. In other words, we would almost immediately, Bob, have to go to major yield tactical, less than tactical nuclear weapons. So it would escalate immediately yeah. if Russia used tactical field weapons. We would have to use large yield, uh, high impact damage nuclear weapons. So it is that loose talk, that potential that a tactical field weapon would have to result in a significant nuclear strike that would have to be with the most powerful kilotone weaponry in our arsenal, Bob. You know, in, in the context for all this, of course, is the, uh, the, the rhetoric is beginning to escalate. And uh, right now, uh, Zelensky is asking for immediate uh, acceptance into uh, NATO uh, and uh, the whole notion of uh, we need to have regime change in Russia as opposed to some sort of a peace settlement. And I think wisely, uh, India and China have, have called for peace talks to ha so that this could de-escalate and, uh, and uh, settle down. But to right now, our appetite for war seems insatiable right now. And of course, uh, uh, Biden has already walked back his Armageddon statement, but nevertheless, I think he points out the fact that, the, as you're pointing out, this could actually escalate into nuclear war. And a very extensive and, and extremely worldwide damaging nuclear war. So I guess the, the point, just to repeat it, because I think it's important, if Russia uses a tactical uh, nuclear weapon in Ukraine, it would immediately escalate to large-yield nuclear weapons. There's no, there's, we don't have the weaponry to do anything but that. Mm -hmm. So this, this is... If, I'm, I'm sorry, if people do not take this issue seriously, there's something seriously missing. Right now, we have Russian, uh, Russian hackers, from what I understand, that are already uh, penetrating our <clears throat> many of our airports, many of our governmental uh, uh, sites. Right. So I'm not saying that is the equivalency of nuclear war. I'm just saying that this and uh, that... I think it's Kilnet, uh, that's the Russian site. Uh, I am not equ equating that with nuclear war, but I am saying there does seem to be an escalation on Russia's part as it pertains to a focus on the United States. I think Putin and Russia in total recognizes that regardless of who pulls the trigger on a weapon in Ukraine, that is the United States that's doing it. In other words, it doesn't matter who pulls that trigger. This is a weapon that has been sent there designed to kill Russians, and when that trigger is pulled by, pulled by a Ukrainian, it doesn't make any difference. And Russia, I think, and this is going to be a, a, a strong statement that I'll probably regret later, I think Russia has exercised tremendous restraint in terms of their uh, willingness to not have a dramatic response uh, to the fact that the United States has, in fact, uh, uh, issued certainly at least a surrogate war against against uh, Russia, Bob. Yeah, I wish I had more confidence in Biden to make good decisions about this. Andy, I need to take another break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show 
on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hearing that commercial from Blue Provence reminds me that right now, of course, you can't go to Blue Provence because it was decimated uh, by the storm. And now, of course, they're going to be going through immediate renovations. I'm sure Jacques will have this all up and running very soon. The wine store, which, by the way, is one of the leading wine uh, distributors Uh, retail distributors in the United States and in fact in the world is open at Blue Provence so we just encourage you to stop by and uh, take a look at the great wine list at uh, Blue Provence. Blue Provence uh, again should be open probably in the next uh, month or so we certainly uh, wish Jacques well in that endeavor. Uh, We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again Andy thank you so much for joining us. So, Andy, By the way, I, you just alluded to the storm. Let me just make a comment. I think uh, Governor DeSantis has done a sensational job in the uh, preparation and the recovery, regardless of what the left said. And, of course, they, they just don't matter to me anymore, nor should they matter to anybody who cares about truth. Uh, but Ron DeSantis was on that from the beginning. Uh, of course, the storm shifted south, so much further south than was anticipated. Uh, so the evacuation was not as timely as it might have been. But he was not going to evacuate the entire state. The West West Coast, at least. I don't know if you've ever been involved with an evacuation uh, on the West Coast of I-75. It is it is pure hell, Bob. So I know DeSantis had to temper his his evacuations with uh, some sense of realism about what would occur if he had a wide scale evacuation plan. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up because he did a fantastic job. I mean, mustering the resources in order to get uh, electricity reinstalled, getting power going. It's just been amazing. And I also want to acknowledge. Collier County, I think, for also uh, contributing to uh, getting us back on our feet. I think both uh, the the county as well as the state has done a terrific job. Yeah, I know most other in Collier uh, took a greater hit than I did, including yourself, Bob. But just for your listeners, because they probably haven't heard anybody say this, we had nothing, Bob, not a branch down, not a a leaf out of place. It was just amazing that uh, in some almost near miraculous circumstance uh, where I live in in Naples was totally untouched by the storm in any way, Bob. So they probably haven't heard any good news stories, so I thought I'd give them that one. Well, 
<laughs> Congratulations, and I think that's great. Hey, you know what? I been keep, keep waiting for. Uh, I always think about Lucy moving the football when Charlie Brown is trying to kick it. That usually happens in October, just before the the elections, where the Democrats are starting to pull some dirty tricks. I just want wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I'm I'm sure there's going to be something tweaks now in the in the election. Hard to say what it'll be. It may be some uh, new uh, virulent strain of of COVID or or some other variant of that type. It may be uh, riots in the street provoked by some uh, meaningless event. Uh, but there will be something. I mean, that is certainly is the uh, the Democrat pattern historically. Um, I just want to get back to something that I think is, I, mean, I mention it almost every time I'm with you, is that the, I think that the right will win, the Republicans will win the elections in, in 2022 if they are legal. Now, I think right now there's a lot of condemnation, certainly from the left, about election deniers. I don't hear any condemnation, or enough certainly, about fraud deniers. But let's take that uh, as it is. If an election denier is wrong, what's the problem? Really none. Maybe a morale problem in terms of the perception of elections in America. But if a fraud denier is wrong, if there is fraud and fraud is being denied, then what we will have, Bob, in 2022 is a replication of what happened in 2020. In my less than humble opinion, Bob, that election was stolen, not only manipulated by the likes of a Mark Zuckerberg, but tally count stealing of that election uh, took place. I think this is the primary reason that uh, President Trump stays involved with this issue, because he recognizes unless 2020 is taken seriously, 2022 will not be taken seriously. So I think that's where the issue lies. I think the Republicans will pull the winning votes uh, come November. The question is, will those votes be counted uh, accurately or not? Will there be other manipulations that will take place, including, for example, actions by the FBI, which we're now finding out they suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop information because they knew a poll taken of Democrats recently indicated that 17 percent of them would have changed their vote away from Biden in 2020, Bob, if they knew about the Hunter Biden laptop. Just that one factor alone if the election was legal in every other way, but that one, that would have thrown the election to Joe Biden. So getting back to your, your basic question or point challenge, however you want to position it, yes, I th think between now and then there will be leftist actions to affect the outcome of the election in 2022. Bob. Well, you know, I, I think we should just get rid of these machines, Dominion and, and others that have been affecting the elections uh, to get back to, you know, they changed the algorithm at 11 o'clock at night on the, the night of the election on 2020. And waha, turns out that Biden begins to take the lead after they turn the machines or turn the election count back on. So there's there's and this is happening on a number of fronts by the way this that as as joe biden said before the election he said you know what we had the most sophisticated uh election fraud program ever developed <laughs> he did say that and, and oh, i know i know and he I said know. and he said afterwards and and i hope you have your support afterwards <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, we've mentioned on your show that there certainly was a reason that Joe Biden spent the entire campaign in his basement. Right. And I think the reason was, and it just becomes redundant, but it, it's worth repeating, I think because he knew the fix was in. There was no other, nothing to account for. I think right now we can see, although we have a, a man not in full the full capacity of his cognizant powers, certainly is not a man that can be trusted with anything, but nevertheless, we see a man right now that is functioning at a level that was not seen uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, during the campaign. Why? The only reason is he knew that the fix was in, Bob. That's exactly right. And of course, the sad thing is right now he's carrying around the nuclear football and has the capacity to make decisions that it could be destroy the, the globe, unfortunately. So scary stuff, you know, and as I mentioned, General Kiefer from 8th Air Force before, uh, he was, this is a man that would have, would have been the major uh, authoring agent, not the uh, original decision maker, but to put it into effect of nuclear uh, response of SAC, um, and he was terrified of nuclear war. I wish I felt more people were terrified of nuclear war. They see it as a, an element of a cocktail 
party conversation, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, a terrific read off topic for today's discussion, but really a fascinating read indeed. Uh, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll have breakfast soon and I will let you buy if you want. <laughs> I think I'm going to wait for you to pick up the check, Andy. <laughs> well, wait, wait, <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I certainly did. Uh, we've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including uh, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon who just replaced my hip, full hip replacement, as well as my knees back in 2006. Always look forward to his comments from, from the healthcare trenches. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. Send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. BobHarden at Hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends. That's the way we can support our advertisers. show wouldn't be possible without their support. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>